I think everybody is creative. We're creating in God's image. So that means I think that being made in the image of God doesn't mean that you look like him. It means that you have um, many characteristics. Creativity is definitely one of those things. Welcome to Live Life Creative, breaking down the barriers to being more creative. I'm Dylan Kreinbrink. Thanks for spending time with me today. Uh, we're hanging out with Phil Ayers today. He's a good friend of mine. He's been into bands. He built websites before content management systems existed. And he's written one book and he's working on his next. If you want to follow Live Life Creative on Instagram, the handle is Live Life Creative Podcast. I'd love to hang out with you there. And the website, Live Life Creative Podcast.xyz. I post each episode online there with show notes. Now, if you'd like to send me a message, I'd love to read it. Uh, maybe bring it here on the podcast too, especially voice messages. Those would be really cool to have on the podcast. You can send those to livelifecreativepodcast at gmail.com. So this episode sounds a little different. Phil and I met up at an outdoor conference center and it was nighttime. So there's lots of ambient noise and sounds. I think it's really cool. I really like how it ended up because... It shows the atmosphere that we were at, kind of shows the environment we were at, and it's pretty fun. So here we go with Phil. So I want to start with a little bit of background. Uh, let's start with where you're at now. Well, I'm a pastor at a small to medium-sized church. Not, I mean, I'd say a medium church. It's about 225 people located about 20 minutes north of Orlando. I've been there for 16 years now as a pastor there so that's a long time yeah for a pastor that's actually kind of a long time at least statistically i suppose i hear that the average time a pastor stays in a church is like three to five years but it's a good church it's a great group of people um they treat me very well i love i love them and i you know love what the church stands for so i'm i'm there so did you have any kind of creative things that you did uh growing up yeah Believe it or not, I used to sing opera. Really? I did. Man, I'm discovering so many things. We've worked together for two and a half years, yeah, something like that. almost I'm, three. Almost three. Yeah. I'm discovering so many things about you. Well, opera doesn't come up a lot. It's um, true. But I used to sing a, a, a lot, like I would sing in church, of course. And then when I was 12, the music director at my school recruited me for a Detroit Opera, Detroit sort of city <laughs> opera, and I would sing in that falsetto boys choir wow. voice, and I was in a production of A Mall and the Night Visitors, which is a very famous Christmas production. Yeah, I mean, when you listen to it now, it's insane. My voice was like, like I can't do it now, but yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that for me, creativity was, was, was singing in music when I was a kid. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I know that you had a band mm-hmm. when you were in college. Yes. Can you tell us the name of that band? We were the Innocents. I'd like to say that we were, um, what would you call it? I'd like to say that we were trailblazers of some kind. I would say we were sort of pioneers at Baptist College in the fact that we were the first, I'm, I'm doing air quotes now, rock Christian band. When you hear it now, it's not very rocky, but... You know, we had drums and, you know, guitars and guitar solos. and Something more than an electric organ. Yeah, and so organ. for the time period of the school, I would say we were progressive in that, you know, we were bringing more of the modern music towards the Christian scene and the school. The students were certainly ready for that, and we weren't doing anything any more heavy metal, any kind of like that. It was like Petra and DC Talk level. But we did have to like submit samples of our music and lyrics to the faculty before they would let us play the music on the campus. <laughs> Boy, so uh, they weren't. The school wasn't against us. They were they were excited for what we were doing, and they liked to see the initiative some students were taking. But they just wanted to make sure we weren't, you mm-hmm. know, going off the deep end uh, spiritually. I guess. Right. So why did you and your friends start the Innocents? We started that band very quickly. I mean, I think within a week or two of being in school, we were really? putting a band together. Freshman year? Freshman year. Wow. Well, I met Forrest, who is a great friend of mine, and uh, now he's a, he has a doctorate in composition and piano, and he teaches at Calvin College. He, was, he lived uh, two doors down, and I got to meet him actually even before school started during the... What is it when, they, when you go to the school a little bit early? and Orientation? Yeah, during orientation. I met him during orientation. I was so into music 
at that time that it's almost like we couldn't not find each other. Then my roommate was a guy named Dave Gilman, who oh, is Dave. yeah, you know Dave. He's, I know Dave. He was my adjunct professor. Yeah, he taught business and music, right? Yeah, music business. Yeah, so he was really into Christian music. He was my roommate. So we very quickly were like, we got to get a band together. And so then we found a girl who was a year older than us. She was a vocalist, and she was really cool. So we're like, we had a band going very quickly and started writing music. So I don't think it was to solve any problem. I just think we all liked music, and we wanted to yeah. to express ourselves that way. We wanted to have a ministry with it too yeah so you touched on this a little bit what made the style of music of the innocence different from what else was around you at that time well around at the school you mean yeah around just around around church culture around the school uh, just what made it unique for for grand rapids because it's kind of a conservative location what was around there mostly was like sandy patty it was vocalists it was slow yeah. Music. And we were writing songs that had raps in them. Oh, wow. <laughs> to say that, yeah. They had uh, rap this is music and. Slight contest. This is like what decade? This would be 1988. 1988, okay. Yeah. And, and like I said, guitar solos. So mm-hmm. heavy drum beats and guitar solos and raps compared to Twyla Paris. Am I thinking like Gaither Brothers kind of music here? Like. Isn't that a... For what we did or for what was around? For what was around. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gaither, trio. The backdrop. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I okay. mean, the world at large was experiencing that kind of other kind of oh, Christian yeah, music. Sure. It's just in this little bubble of yeah. of Cornerstone College, or that's what it's called now, Grand Rapids Baptist College. There was just, you know, you would have a, a, an accompaniment tape and you would sing, you know, something, you know, that was, you know, inspirational Christian song, but it was also very mellow. Mm-hmm. To give you an example, the first concert we ever played was in Quincer. The students were dancing, <gasps> and oh, no. the RA came, oh, no. shut the concert down, gave a fine to everybody in the room for dancing. Mm. So that was the climate we were at. So how serious was The Innocence? Well, we were very serious. We had a manager. Dave was our manager, and we practiced a lot on a regular basis. We wrote our own music. We figured this out one time. We played more than 250 shows in the four years that we were at school. Wow, that's pretty good. I mean, we traveled and played in Indiana, Illinois, New York, New Jersey. We traveled to Trinidad and Tobago and played. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. That's really cool. We went on a big three-week tour. By the time we were done, we owned fifteen dollars to $20,000 of musical equipment, a van, a trailer, printed T-shirts. We recorded an album, which is no small feat in 1989. No, you Today. actually had to go to a recording <laughs> yeah. studio. You know, it cost a few thousand dollars. Yeah, and you know, we had tapes made, and so I mean, we were very serious about it. I actually have told people I learned more probably about ministry and about project management and things like that yeah. from being in that band than yeah. I probably did from the college part. Yeah. So very formative kind of experience. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Because we had to figure out you know, how we were going to um, market ourselves. Yeah. We had a mailing list. Wow. And we probably had, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred people on our mailing list. That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, we were very serious. Yeah. Yeah, very serious. So obviously when you're in a band, a lot of the creativity comes in with the songwriting, with the music, that kind of thing. Yeah. But what were some other areas that maybe you wouldn't have... Most people might not think of immediately where creativity comes in. Kind of like I was just saying, like the mar- marketing is a big area to be creative. Mm-hmm. So you have to figure out how to draw people to what you're doing, and finding ways to do that more than just you know hanging up some posters. I think was right. was was interesting for us. Like we shot a little TV show one time. <laughs> really? For, yeah, that's cool. And we shot a little TV show. We printed up the t-shirts and and did sales like that we had a newsletter that we sent out we had a little magazine that we sent out to people and this was before email this is before mailchimp oh Oh, are you kidding me yeah this is before (laughs) the internet before compute now yeah quite that far almost here's what i used to do so i would do the magazine 
Each person in the band would write up a little article, and then I would print it out on a dot matrix printer. Some people don't even know what that is. I would cut it out. And then I would paste it together, and I would photocopy, and then fold it and staple it, and then we would mail those out. It was called um, Innocent Beat, and the magazine was like, you know, volume one, issue you know, one, and then issue yeah. two, and then issue three. Volume two, issue one. So it was like a, it was like a magazine. Yeah. Pictures and prayer requests and testimonies yeah. and everything. Wow. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, sh- I have copies of that magazine, oh. and it's really uh, If you could send me, too. like, the cover image of one of those or something, I'll yeah. throw down in the show notes. So I'm kind of blurry on the details of your life between, you know, college-ish yeah. age of your life to pretty much up to 10 years ago. Are there any highlights especially related to creativity? Oh, yeah, because so once I got out of when the once the innocence was done, which yeah. was basically um, right after I got married. So mm-hmm. 1992, Forrest and I be, decided to form our own band. Oh. And we considered it sort of like the way Tears for Fears operated. There was like two main bandmates who did all of the writing and creative ventures. And then we hired everybody else. So we formed a band in 1992 called Felix Culpa. And we decided to change our focus. We weren't a Christian band. We were a band with a couple of Christian guys in it. We were writing about life and love and you know challenges and things like that. We... Continued musically, tried to expand our ability to write, and we also recorded an album. We also traveled and toured around. And it was a little bit, it was better to a certain extent because we had more control, the two of us together. A band is always challenging because there's five or six people that you have to, it's it's kind of a democracy. You have to respect all their opinions and everybody gets a say. Yeah, and Forrest and I... We worked really, really well together because we're kind of opposites on a lot of ways. And so, you know, I would usually come up with with an idea or a hook, and then he would, you know, make it sound a lot better. And uh, we worked well together. So we actually got as far as being signed to a record label. Oh, cool. So we were signed on Grey Dot Records, which was this, the same label that signed Third Day. Oh, cool. Yeah, we were on the same label with them. We recorded at the same time they did, at the same studio they oh. did. And then we actually also got to the new talent stage at the Gospel Music Association Conference. There was five bands. We were one of them chosen, and uh, we came in second place to a band called Jars of Clay. (laughs) And they got signed that night, and the rest of it is history. Yeah, so close. That's really cool, though. Yeah, Yeah, it was a good experience. After that... um, well, we tried for a few more years. It, it wasn't going to happen, and that was okay. I feel like I got it out of my system. And I decided to um, just take a job, figure out how to pay the bills. And that turned into a job in an aerospace company where I was able to use some of those. Selling out to the man. Sold out to the, <laughs> to the man. <laughs> well, it's funny because one of the things I learned, you're talking about creativity, in the marketing aspect of the band, I had to learn how to do web pages. So this oh, is 95, yeah. 96. This is the earliest no days. No Squarespace, no WordPress, no, not even Drupal. There's, no, I'm, there's nothing. I had a, you had a no cursor pad. prompt <laughs> and C prompt, an HTML code. <laughs> there wasn't, there, yeah, you didn't have uh, tools to build per se. So we were building, I was building very simple web pages. But um, you know, within a few years, they had some better tools. But I was able to use those skills to get a job at an aerospace company, which actually turned into a really, really nice little career that I did for about six years. And um, you know, it was nice. I, I made some money, and that was a blessing. And I was still working in music at churches, but um, it brought me down to Florida. And then after the um, after nine eleven, the whole aerospace industry kind of tumbled. Right, And the job wasn't so great anymore. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to get back into ministry where I started. And so that's when I made the switch and I became a full-time worship pastor at a brand new church in Orlando. So for me, it was great because I got to still be a musician. Yeah, It was my job. I got paid for it. And every week I had an opportunity to be creative, you know, make up set lists, write mm-hmm. some of my own songs, um, coordinate a lot of creative elements yeah. for Sunday morning. 
And so it wasn't quite being a rock star per se, but it was very, there was a lot of elements for creativity. Right. And having a job as worship pastor where you have to be creative on demand, yeah. I mean, that brings a whole other element into it because you have to come, with the, come up with new interesting songs, not every week, but on a regular basis. And you have to make it sound good to the extent possible with your volunteers and the musicians yeah. that you have There's um, a lot on to, a regular basis, like ongoing. There's a lot to balance because you're right. Sunday shows up every seven days whether you are prepared or not. Exactly. You you mentioned this, but it's a huge factor is, you know, you don't have usually five professional musicians that can play whatever you want. Right. You have a mixture, especially in a small church, of volunteers with different skill levels. You may want to play this song maybe because it's perfect and it fits with what the preacher is going to preach, but, you know, your drummer is not at that level. So creativity is you, you must be very flexible and nimble. Mm-hmm. And say, okay, well, this week we'll do it this way. This week we'll do it that way. This fits, and you don't really have time to wait for creativity. You have to be able to um, to draw upon it mm-hmm. at will. Right. So it's not something you can wait for in a flash. Yeah, it has to be a tool that you can pick up and use when you need it to be. It happens in a flash sometimes, and sure. I always tell people like you, you have. That's why I keep a journal, and I'm always writing down an idea and. Mm-hmm. Whatever, but you you do have to be disciplined about it, and some of that is just sitting down and sort of working through the nuts and bolts of something until you can make it work. And when you hit a wall, you say, "Okay, well, let me just go this direction for a little while until until I can make it work." The more you do that, the better you are at you know figuring out how to be flexible. It's, yeah. it's sort of like if you were if you're fixing a car. The first time you have to fix the car, it's going to take you a long time because you don't know exactly what to do next. But every other time you have to do it, you have all of the knowledge that you gained the first time around. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so. So you're a worship pastor at this church. Um, how did you become where you're at now, where you're, the, where you're the lead pastor? Is it the same church you're a worship pastor? Yeah. So okay. I was the worship pastor for about five years. Our lead pastor uh, resigned, and there was a pastoral search team that that was looking for a pastor and in the meantime I was the interim pastor so I was taking care of it was a tough time because I was taking care of worship and I was taking care of preaching and and kind of everything yeah I had not done much speaking up until that point I mean I had done that in college like I went to homiletics class but I hadn't (laughs) preached much speech class well homiletics is basically biblical preaching oh, okay it's like it's like um, public speaking for preachers okay so here I was sort of thrown into that role mm-hmm. and you talk about creativity I mean picking five songs every week that that um, that's some creative or that's a creative process but you're mm-hmm. not writing five songs every yeah week. when you're speaking on Sunday you have to write something so yeah now you really must find some creativity there Um. But then uh, after about four months of them looking for a pastor, they said, you know, we think you should be the guy. And I prayed about it, and I said, yeah, it was a good step. I was ready to, to go to the next level, so to speak. Hey, there's more to this interview if you choose to support the podcast on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. Now, in that extra bonus content, uh, Phil and I talk about more about his growing up in Detroit, uh, other big parts of his life, and there's some little funny clips of people walking by during the interview, and they were kind of confused about what we were doing, so that was kind of fun interacting with them during the interview. Uh, I started the Patreon page so that we can host more episodes of the podcast on our podcasting hosting company and not have to delete episodes when we use up our limited space on the free plan. Uh, Pretty sure that we're going to run out here either with this episode and I'll have to start deleting after that or in the next couple of episodes. So if you want to get a little bonus content and help others tap into their creativity, then go to livelifecreativepodcast.xyz and tap support in the menu. Thanks. So to you, I think you have an opinion on this. To you, what is creativity? Creativity is being able to start with nothing and arrive at something. If you To get spiritual, if you want to do that, 
the um, Latin for God's creation is ex nihilo, mm-hmm. which means out of nothing. So true creativity is when, I mean, you could certainly start with some idea or influences, but it's, it's making something that didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to write a book, it's I'm writing something original. If you're going to write a song, it's a new idea or a new melody, or I'm combining maybe an old idea with a new melody or vice versa. So it's, it's combining things to create something that, that wasn't done that way before. So do you think that only certain people are creative or is creativity something that everybody can use? I think everybody is creative. Okay. So I have a few reasons for that. So you're talking to a preacher, so i got to get spiritual again. Yeah. We're created in God's image. I believe that. And God is, first and foremost, a creator. So I believe that, too. So that means, I think, that being made in the image of God doesn't mean that you look like him. It means that you have um, many characteristics. Humor might be one, love, passion, empathy, but creativity is definitely one of those things. And so I think the difference is we tend to think creativity, we only think art for some reason. We only think like music or painting, drawing, um, singing, writing. Those are creative ventures. But really there's a lot of creativity around the person who puts together business deals Mm -hmm. in a way that – that keeps both parties happy. That's mm-hmm. creativity. Mm-hmm. The mom who finds a way to feed her children broccoli, you know, <laughs> to disguise it. That's creativity. So to me, everybody has the ability to be creative. So how have you developed more creativity in your own life? For me, there's two, two sort of opposite sides of being creative. One is, and they're kind of, they're almost like yin and yang. They're almost like um, polar opposites. But one is creating space in my mind and in my, let's say, like soul to allow creativity to sort of grow. So what I find is if I'm like burned out, uh, burning the candle at both ends, my creative spirit seems to be kind of dry and stressed out, and I'm just, I'm, I mean, I get into task mode, which is yeah. just checking things off of lists. Or yeah. Something. So I feel like it's necessary, at least for me, to create an atmosphere, create some space for creativity. But the flip side of that is also the discipline side of creativity, which is to say, okay, I'm going to be the one to decide when to turn my creativity on and off, which feels like it's opposite in that I just have to say, okay, now it's time to be creative. Yeah. And so I want to have sort of both. I need the freedom of of my mind to be kind of relaxed and free, but then I need to know like it's time to go. So what's been a turning point in your life where you were kind of at that place where creativity kind of came and went, you didn't have maybe that kind of discipline that you were developing to being in a place where you can be more creative when you need to be creative? The turning point for me was I joined a group of writers. Mm. So I had always wanted to write. Okay. So I had written songs not good songs, but I'd written a lot of songs and recorded music and things like that. But it was very, it would come in fits and starts. You know, sometimes I would write a lot and, and sometimes I would go for months without writing anything. It was just, it would happen when it happened. Yeah. But I've always wanted to write, you know, a book or something like that. So I started a couple of times. Yeah. And I did it the same way I was writing music, which was kind of fits and starts. I didn't have a plan. I would just kind of get onto a roll and I would write and it would be 3 o'clock in the morning and I had you know, oh. uh, gotten 2,000 or 3,000 words but then I wouldn't touch it again for weeks and weeks and the result of that was I was not successful with writing and I got very discouraged especially because I showed some of the samples of writing to some friends of mine and, and I didn't hear much back from them and so I took that as kind of a, a sign that I was not good at it yeah. but I still wanted to do it and so a friend recommended joining this group called the Tribe Writers. It's a group that costs to get into it, but there's a lot of training, and there's uh, you know sessions you can go to and learn. And the best thing is it's full of other writers who are encouraging and had okay. been there before. Yeah. And I realized, oh, everybody, everybody deals with this. Mm-hmm. Everybody has like floods of creativity and then big, big expanses of, of non-creativity. And the best advice I got was making opportunities to be creative but at the same time 
being disciplined about it. So I decided, like, for example, I would write every morning from 5 to 6, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Okay. And the advice was, even if you don't feel like it, even if you don't even get a single word down, you sit from 5 to 6 or whatever time you know mm-hmm. you decide. And what I found out is like the first several times it was really difficult. I didn't feel like it and I couldn't – I felt like I couldn't write anything down. But the more I did it, the more the I was able to harness my own creativity and sort of decide when I wanted to turn it on and turn it off. And by the end of that process, it took about six months, but I finished my first book. Congrats. Thank you very much. Thank you. And there was a huge confidence boost there to say yeah. like, oh, I can do this. Yeah. I, you know, I, I finished it. And then, of course, I was able to pass that on to a lot of the other people in the tribe writers who were, mm-hmm. you know, where I was. That was the turning point for me. That was 2017. Okay, so just a little while ago. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned that one of the big aspects of this tribe writers group was encouragement. So what kind of, what role does encouragement play in creativity when you're in a community of people? I think it's huge because a lot of creativity flows from your emotions, I mean, it doesn't always have to flow from your emotions, but I feel like a lot of times it does. Think of the person who's a songwriter and, and you know, their girlfriend just left him or their boyfriend yeah. just left him or whatever. And so, you know, that's an outlet. I think writing is a big outlet for that too, whether it's journaling or writing a book or writing on your blog. When you receive encouragement from people, you're receiving like an emotional boost. Okay. And especially if that encouragement comes in the form of, hey, I struggled with that too. Yeah. I got through it. You can get through it. If I could do it, you can do it. I heard a lot of that from the people in this group. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the rules in the group is you're not allowed to give critique, even if it's constructive, unless it's requested. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the only thing you ever give is encouragement, encouragement, encouragement. So as I jumped into this group of people, and there's you know a few thousand people in this in this group, oh. I received a lot of emotional support. You know, I would maybe post uh, you know a few pages at a time here and there and people would say oh i really like this oh this was fantastic oh i never thought of that before and all of a sudden i was just receiving a lot of positive feedback that fueled you know my creativity because my emotions were sort of strengthened and boosted so t- in order to receive encouragement there has to be somebody else out there that's giving you encouragement which means you kind of have to have a community around you the tribe. Well, that's why they a call tribe. it tribe writers. Right, so, tribe yeah, writers. a community. I mean, I would say, well, first of all, there's lots, lots of writing groups out there. Sure. And they're everywhere. Yeah. And getting into one of those is good. The one, here's one little caution I would give. You know, find people who are also working on the same thing so you can receive the right kind of encouragement. Okay. Because in the first few times when I shared my, my writing with people, I wasn't sharing it with people who also were were passionate about writing or had a dream or a goal to write so they didn't understand like if if they didn't get back to me they didn't understand how demotivating that was okay i'm in my own little self esteem my my low self esteem and going well they must have hated it well i must be terrible that's yeah. why they didn't say anything well the truth is they probably forgot that they even got it from me and they probably sure. never read it but other people who know what it feels like they know they're not going to leave you hanging. So mm-hmm. your tribe needs to be like-minded individuals. Not, by the way, probably your family. Because oh. the funny thing is, is my family was not, they were certainly supportive, but they weren't particularly, they didn't understand the dream. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't really read it. Okay. And that could have been demotivating, except I had this other group of yeah. writers who understood how important it is to to give that kind of feedback. So it's not just about having a community. The right community. It's having the right kind of community. The right kind of community. So kind of having to filter, maybe not filter as in disregard, but just seeking out the right people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, a good example would be when I was getting ready to publish the book, I got a group of beta writers together, or beta readers. So a beta reader is someone who reads the book before it's published, even before it's edited, just to kind of give you a sense of does it make sense? Is it confusing anywhere? You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Just big, big picture stuff. Well, you wouldn't choose a beta reader from a group of people who, number one, doesn't even like to read. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, or doesn't read the same genre that you're writing. You got to find somebody who would be comfortable with that genre and somebody who's also a great reader. 
So I think the same thing is true if you're looking for encouragement or feedback, you want to find somebody who would know what kind of feedback to give you. If you're going to be a songwriter, you go to other songwriters. Yeah. If you're if you're a, a singer, you're going to go to other singers or musicians because right. they kind of know what goes into it in order to right. create it. Can you tell me about a time where you felt like you were really stuck creatively and what you did to break out of it? Yeah, I did I know exactly I know exactly what you're talking about. So 2010 I got into a huge writer's block, creative rut, whatever you want to call it, uh, with my sermon preparation. One of the interesting things about being a preacher is every seven days you have to produce 30 minutes worth of content for, you know, a couple hundred people that is supposed to be interesting, uh, funny, spiritually provocative. That's quite a bit of work. I mean, most people, when they think about the idea of having to talk in front of a group for 30 minutes, it freaks them out. Yeah? Yeah. By 2010, I had been preaching for three years. Uh, I didn't have a lot of people to help me preach, so I was doing the bulk of the preaching, which means I was preaching probably 48 times a year. Ooh, that's a lot. It's a lot. I had tapped, I felt like I had tapped out every idea that I possibly could have. Like every story about my life, I had told it. Mm-hmm. Every illustration that I could find in a book that was halfway decent, I told it. <laughs> every idea for a sermon series, you know, I felt like I had used it. Like I just got to the end. There I got are no in, more ideas left in the Bible. <laughs> that's, well, <laughs> the thing is, there's no shortage of ideas in the Bible, of course, but there's a, there's a shortage of creative ways to present those ideas uh, yeah. is what it comes down to. Yeah. I took a big step back. I took six weeks off. Cool. It would be like the equivalent of when you're planting a farm mm-hmm. and, you know, the first year you plant beans and then you harvest and then the next year you plant corn and then you harvest and then the next year you plant wheat mm-hmm. and you harvest. But then the next year you don't plant anything. Yeah. Because the soil has to rest. It has to, they say go fallow, whatever that means. Yeah. So for me, that was that time where I said, okay, that's creating that space. Mm-hmm. Like my brain was worn out mm-hmm. and I really felt like I had, no, I had no ideas. And I wasn't even interested in finding good ideas. I was just too tired. So I had to take six weeks off, let other people preach. I went into just a refreshing mode of my own sort of mind. So I read a lot of books. I watched other people's sermons. I mm-hmm. you know, just sort of invested everything. I didn't let anything back out. Of my yeah. of my uh, mind, I just storing up, I just recharging. stored it in and recharged it, and so now I don't. I only preach thirty six years or thirty six Sundays a year, mm-hmm. because I need weeks in between to let let the brain sort of rest. So, yeah. So the two things I draw out from that is one that you rested. Yes. You know, you just took a break. Right. So for the person listening. You know, maybe you just need to, if you're in a creative rut, you need a breakthrough barrier. You just need to give yourself time to think. And the second thing I pulled out of that is that you were investing time into other people's ideas. Yes. The sermons, the books. So you were not only not putting things out, you're also bringing a lot of stuff in. And that kind of created maybe building blocks to work with. I think there's always like subconscious ideas, but a lot of it is just like the like sort of refreshing your soul. The uh, Stephen King has a great book. It's called On Writing. It is just about his process of writing and being creative, and it's fascinating because, of course, this guy turns out more, yeah, you know, more books and publishing published books than you can imagine. But um, he says, you know, he has to read a lot. He reads a lot because it fills him back up. Yeah. So I, I think if you're a musician and you're a songwriter, you need to listen to lots of musicians and great songwriters. Yeah. If you're an artist, you need to be, you know, at, at museums and looking at paintings and just letting just letting that come in into yeah. your heart, you know. So you had told me one time that bringing a sermon every week is like writing a term paper and then presenting it. <laughs> yes, it is. So what's the hardest thing about creating that consistent content? I think the hardest thing about creating the consistent content is is making it interesting. Because it'd be sort of like this. Take music as an example. You can, you can, anybody could write a song, but the question is, can you write a good song that anybody wants to listen to? Yeah. 
Like a song is, you know, most of the time four chords. Yeah. And you yeah. could put four chords together and you could throw words over the top of it in a melody, but it doesn't mean anybody wants to hear it. Mm-hmm. Sermon is the same way. I can create three points and I can find a, something to talk about, but is it compelling yeah. in the way that the ideas are formulated? You know, does it have an interesting beginning? Is there application points along the way? Is the ending of it bring people to a decision point? That's what is hard about being creative. I maybe the best way to say it is it's hard to be good on a creative basis. Okay. Yeah. If you were somebody who wrote songs for a living or you scored um, music for movies, I think you would be it would be challenging. I've got to make this sound. Think of John Williams who writes, yeah. you know, what Star Wars and Indiana Jones yeah. and Jaws and all that. Somehow he's managed to over and over and over again create musical pieces that are like instantly memorable. And that's creativity, but it's creativity done really well. Yeah. What are some sources of inspiration for you that consistently pump you up and help you spark off ideas? So this is going to sound weird, but I've got a couple one is the shower. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Yeah. I did read something about this though that you know when you if you're in the bathtub or a hot tub or a hot shower or something like that where you uh, relax that it's one of the most creative places you can be. Because a lot of times in if I'm taking a shower or something I come up with a lot of really good ideas, like a lot of interesting ways to uh, phrase something. Or, or um, because I'm, or if I'm writing or something like interesting ways to turn a phrase or interesting ways to put ideas together. Um, the other one is when I'm running, though. So okay. yeah, there's this kind of thing where, and it may be just as simple as when you know when I'm running. I I like to run without music, so I can just kind of hear cars coming or whatever. So I don't have any other ideas in my mind except for just my own mind and my own thoughts. Those are are two really, really good places. And then the other one is probably accidental, but when I'm going to sleep, I get a lot of great ideas when I'm going to sleep. <laughs> yeah. And then I will sometimes, you know, record them into my phone real quick before uh, bed. It, maybe all that has something to do with relaxing or mm-hmm. being, you know, creating, uh, you know, yeah. serotonin or something like that. Yeah. Do you ever get these, like, really great ideas when you're trying to fall asleep and then... Like you can't go to sleep because you're so excited about that idea? Yes. I think that's why. Well, they tell people you should have a pad of paper right by your bedside for either grabbing those great ideas or for writing down your dreams if they're crazy and you want to try to figure out what they mean. (laughs) For the most part, I just, in my phone, if I come up with like, ooh, that would be a great way to say that, then I'll I'll jot it down. Or if that's a, a new way, a new idea, I'll put that down. So what's been the biggest struggle that you've had? So this could be, you know, fear of other people's opinions or excuses not to do something. Biggest struggle. Well, I'll tell you the most demotivating thing that's ever happened to me. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's back a ways. And it, it's probably one of the reasons why I was so self-conscious about writing. So when I was a freshman in college, I took a creative writing class. Now, up until this point, I thought I was a good writer. Because, okay. you know, I'd write, you know, little stories in school and mm-hmm. I was in creative writing in high school and yeah. everybody gave me a lot of good feedback. So I thought, oh, I'm a pretty good writer. I, I like yeah. this. I'm good at it. Yeah. You know, so I like to do it. So freshman creative writing class, she gives us the assignment, write an essay. I don't remember what the topic was. but And so I wrote an essay. And, you know, it was supposed to be a little bit funny and a little bit thought-provoking and all that. And I wrote it and I turned it in. And then the next time we came to class... She said, okay, so we're going to do something a little different today. I've picked some essays at random. I'm going to put them up on the overhead projector. Oh, boy. And we're going to evaluate them as a class. And instantaneously, I thought, oh, please don't pick mine. I just wasn't, I just was like, and the first one she put up Uh, was mine. Oh, no. And it's absolutely true story. So what was interesting is she wasn't evaluating the creativity of the writing. She was evaluating only grammar and punctuation. Oh no. So she says, okay, now what, what do you guys notice about this piece of writing? And right away, somebody in like the back of the room is like, 
Well, he's got a comma where it's not supposed to be. <laughs> oh, by the way, they had, you know, kept the name. They, oh, they, they yeah. erased the name. Nobody knew it was me. You know, it was anonymous up there, but I knew it was me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And another person's like, yeah, look at all those commas. And then it's like, I don't know if what's exactly what somebody said, but it was the, basically everybody just started chiming in like, what's this guy in love with commas? Oh, Maybe he's Mr. Comma. That hurts. And then she, she said, this is like a direct quote. She said, it's like somebody took a salt shaker full of commas <laughs> and just sprinkled it over the it's paper. the teacher that said that? Yes. Oh, man. And so then the only thing I could do was go, yeah, who oh. wrote this anyway? That is crazy. Oh. I had to, I had you to, had to do, diss your own paper. I had to class. diss my own paper just to throw people off yeah. the scent that it was my paper. Oh. So after that, I kid you not, I couldn't write a oh. note or or eventually an email without panicking about where commas were. Oh, man. <laughs> now, one of the great things that I've discovered recently, though, is number one, people don't care that much about commas. <laughs> uh, number two, that's why you have a copy editor. Yeah. Every writer has a copy editor. Yeah. And, you know, if you're going to sit there and you're going to allow that to stop your creative process, then... You're you're never going to be creative because you're you, you're the first draft, especially when you're talking about writing. It's not about creativity. It's just about the ideas. Yeah, not and about the grammar. It's not about any of those details. I would say the same first thing with your song. First thing with your song is not to worry about you know music theory. Just get your ideas out there. You can always hone stuff later. Or if you're a filmmaker or something like that, you know that's why if you think about those filmmakers. And movie makers, you know, they start with a script and then they go to a storyboard. And then sometimes they'll even shoot practice sequences with regular old video cameras before they get there. They're going to hone the final product later. So that was um, that wasn't when I struggled with it. I mean, I struggled and that gave me a real sense of low self-esteem. Yeah, that's a tough story. (laughs) That stinks. 100 percent true. Yeah. I'd like to find that creative writing teacher and just go, Look, you know what you did to me? <laughs> Cursed me with these comments. I was freaking out for years. And yeah. then Grammarly came out, yeah, which helped me a lot, which yeah. I appreciate. Yeah. So a couple of things I'm pulling from that is, in your first draft, give yourself some space just to get the ideas out there. Give yourself some freedom. Yeah. And don't freak out too much about it. Well, the rule in writing, when it comes to writing anyway, is don't even stop to fix Spelling mistakes. Just go. Just go forward. Just get the ideas out. Yeah. Don't worry about like you shouldn't be hitting the backspace to put a comma somewhere or to go back three or four lines mm-hmm. or start tweaking a sentence. Just get the ideas out there because yeah. you always go back over it. And then if you're a writer, you're going to have somebody copy edit that, even if it's not a professional, if it's a friend, they're going to go back over it anyway. You're always going to go back over it. But the key is making sure that your ideas are flowing. Mm-hmm. And and that's a different stage. Editing is a different stage yeah. than than creativity. Yeah. So just keeping each stage of the creative process I think so. separate and in its place so that you can come up with the great ideas in the first place. Oh. That's the way that's the way it's been explained to me as far as writing and that yeah. has worked for me. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense even with, you know, I don't know, graphic design. You know, you can if you've got a great idea for some particular uh, marketing piece or just a piece of graphic art, if that's what you're doing, yeah. then just throw it down on a piece of paper or yeah. Photoshop or whatever your medium yeah. is for that kind of thing. And then later, you have it saved on your computer. You can you know, go correct your paths or well, Look at the way um, artists will draw like a picture of a face. They'll start with very broad lines. They're lighter, but they're thicker. And they start shaping things in, and then later you'll see them. They'll, erra- they'll actually erase a little bit, and then they'll replace it with a with a, a more permanent line. You know, so mm-hmm. you're you're getting the main idea down, and then you're honing it as you go. Honing it's, the details. Yeah, it's part of the creative process. Okay. But I always tell writers what I figured out was copy editing is like magic. <laughs> it's it's like the secret sauce, because you know if you're going to write a book or a magazine, you're going to give it to somebody who knows everything about grammar. And can help you tweak those sentences too and be a part of the process and can see things in a new and fresh way that you can't see. So having a team that helps you create your final product to make it better. Sure, yeah. Having to have somebody uh, in whatever you're doing, you know, especially with writing, 
Yeah, uh, I don't know how that. I don't know if that applies to other creative endeavors like maybe not songwriting every, per se. Maybe well, it does. But well, I definitely think think songwriting totally could. It doesn't have to, but it totally could. I think of especially of making videos. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of YouTube personalities and stuff. They, they do everything on their own, which is fine and great. I just remember in college, as a audio student, a lot of stuff I would be working on, I would do by myself. But all the film students, you know, if you have like a film shoot on a Saturday for whatever project they're working on, they have, they don't have one person. They have like three seniors and then twenty yeah. freshmen as their PAs or whatever. Well, movies the way they make movies, obviously. Oh yeah, the director's got a vision, but then there's the director of photography who's going to frame the shot. Yep. Then you've got all the focus pullers, and then of course the editors, which they yeah. get, don't get a lot of credit, but the editors are almost responsible for making the movie good. Yeah. They've got to decide how long this conversation is going to be, where they're going to make the cuts, if it's going to be a tight shot, if it's going to be a wide shot. Yeah. So that show like a team is a great approach. But maybe, again, back to what we were saying before, you've got to have the right team. So yep, somebody who understands right your vision and somebody who's, you know, if they are going to be critical, it's going to be in a way that doesn't, that doesn't shut down your creative process. Yeah. You know. Somebody who can be encouraging to you and give yeah. you constructive feedback that doesn't, like, just kill you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think emotionally, creative people can typically be a little bit fragile. Yeah. Because you're it's putting some, a piece of you out there yeah. for somebody to examine and you yeah. hope they don't like smash it. Yeah, exactly. And somehow when somebody says, oh, I don't like your writing, that's like saying I don't like you. Yeah. When that's really not the case, mm-hmm. but it certainly feels that way because it's a part of you, like you said. Yeah, so an, that's another part of the creative process is kind of separating your ego from what you've yeah. made. You know? That's true, although I just your think sense it's of identity. very difficult. Yeah, for to sure. do, especially for, sure. for somebody who's not used to being turned down. Think of like writers are, you know, an example. I mean, they submit. Now you might submit an article, you know, dozens of times and mm-hmm. be constantly turned down. Yeah, you have to say, look, that's they're not turning me down. Mm-hmm. They're turning this piece of work down. Right. I'll have yeah. to make it a little bit better next time, or I'll have to, you know, make it a little bit shorter or keep the ideas clearer. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. You did mention that you had a book. So yes. you wrote a book with Tribe Writers. Yes. Uh, what was that book? So I wrote a book called Flannel Graph Jesus, More Than a One-Dimensional Savior. It is based on a teaching series I did, speaking of creativity. I did yeah. a teaching series in 2016 called Don't Know Much About Jesus. And it was basically in a creative way to teach about unknown or lesser-known characteristics of Jesus. The fact that he was funny, believe it or not. He had a great sense of humor. Very approachable. That he was tough. That he was rebellious. That he was a friend to the friendless. That he was. That he had a brothers and a sister, which a lot of people don't notice. And uh, so that that creative endeavor of teaching became a great source for the book. So I finished that book in uh, 2017. No, that's not true. I finished it early this year, 2018. Oh yeah. And it's available on Amazon. Okay. What would be a quick and easy way for somebody to get to you and to find the book? Well, you can always get it on Amazon.com. Just look look for Flannel Graph Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing that comes up. <laughs> <laughs> or you can search for my name, Phil Ayers, and, and it will come up. And, and if anybody wants to send me an email, the uh, email address. Well, a better way to do it would be to find me on uh, Twitter or Facebook. So at Facebook, I'm at Rev Phil Ayers, R-E-V. Mm-hmm. Phil Ayers or on uh, Twitter and Instagram I'm, I am Phil Ayers okay do you have a website that you want to send them to Anybody Phil to? Ayers dot M-E dot M-E on the what bandwagon with the creative top level domains well this podcast is hosted on a dot XYZ uh, do you have any last advice for anybody listening that wants to be more creative I do I would say do not ever give up trying to be creative creativity is like a muscle it doesn't need to be it needs to be exercised mm-hmm. it needs to be practiced i mean i think some you know there's times where flashes of brilliance happen but most people who are creative have figured out how to harness that creativity and you know it may take some discipline to do that like you may have to create opportunities where you have some quiet space or where you give yourself an opportunity to be creative but don't ever give up 
on the idea, even if you get discouraged by somebody else or even if you look at your stuff and you don't think it's any good, everybody starts out at, at a level that, you know, is is basic or amateur or however you want to say it. And, you know, if you if you want to write a good song, you might have to write 25 really bad ones first. If you yeah. want to write a good book, you might have to write a couple bad books first, yeah. however you look at it. You've got to keep working at that, keep bringing in information, learning all you can, talking to people, but don't ever, ever give up. Thank you. Well, Phil, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. This has been fun. I hope that yeah. this turns out really good, and I hope a lot of people are totally inspired by it. Thanks for spending some time here on the show. Give me a shout on what you got from this episode. You can send a voice message to live life creative podcast at gmail.com. Uh, just open any voice memo app, record what you want to say, and hit the share button to bring it into your email. And the show is still new, only episode five here. It can still change in your emails and voice messages. All that kind of stuff helps shape the show. And if the podcast is not working for you, tell me. I mean, I'm here to help you, so I want to be able to do that. Our next show is a one-on-one episode. How to decide whether or not you should commit to a new project or if you should just let it go so you can keep your sanity. Uh, Also, consider supporting Live Life Creative on Patreon. Uh, Right now, there's only enough space for a couple of episodes. I'd like your help to keep Live Life Creative going longer without having to delete old episodes. So if you want to help out the podcast, help out your fellow creators, then go to livelifecreativepodcast.xyz and click on support in the menu. Also, subscribe to Live Life Creative in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And wherever you're at, leave a five-star rating and review. That helps a ton. It's the best way for the show to grow, at least when people are searching for it in iTunes and those other apps. But the absolute best way for the show to grow is just for you to share it with a friend. So if this has been an interesting or helpful podcast to you, then just mention it to one of your friends that might like it. I'm Dylan, helping you break down your creative barriers so you can live life creative.